Right. Well, hey, good morning, Grace Church. We are so glad that you are joining us online this morning. My name is Josh Brown. I am the youth director here at Grace Church. And it's, yeah, it's a pleasure to be meeting you online. I ask that you turn in your Bibles this morning to John chapter 10, verse 22 to 42. Now, while you're doing that, I just want to take a moment as well to kind of recognize where we might be coming from this week. Maybe your week was stressful. It was chaotic. The kids were at home. They were driving you crazy all week. This is a moment now that we get to have together to to dwell on what God has to say, to think, to hear about what God has to say. This is our moment together that we get to have right now. Maybe you're coming from a week where things were, um, things were sad and lonely and, de- and depressing perhaps. This is a moment for us right now to search the scriptures and to see what the God of the universe who loves you so deeply has to say. This is, this is our moment right now. And, and, and maybe you're coming from a week where things are, you know, all good and, and you continued on your week and, and things were all great and awesome. And I'm glad that you are here. I welcome each and every one of you this morning to our moment, our time where we get to worship God, where we get to hear what he has to say, and we get to learn some things, um, and, and how they apply to, to our lives. So I see you. Well, I don't actually see you, but I, I know that you are here this morning. So let's dive into God's word. We have been traveling through a series uh, looking at the gospel of John. This is John's eyewitness account of Jesus, his life, his death, and his resurrection. So John takes a very artistic and thematic approach to Jesus's life, his death, and his resurrection. And he does this, he communicates this way intentionally to lead you to a conclusion that Jesus is the awaited king, that Jesus is the son of God, and that when you come to believe these things, when you come to understand these things, that this is actually gonna change your life. This is going to cause a massive shift in the way in which you live. It's going to change the way in which you spend your time. It's going to change the way in which you spend your money. It's going to change the way in which you parent. It's going to change the way in which you love. It's going to change your passions. It's going to change your desires. Believing in Jesus is going to change your entire life. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus and you can affirm these things, I do have the chat open here on my computer and I would love it if you could write down, Jesus has changed my life. Write down in the chat, Jesus has changed my life. If you are a follower of Jesus and you can affirm these truths, that Jesus has changed your life, then write that down in the chat. I would love to see that. I know for me personally, if you were to ask my parents, and they're actually probably somewhere in this chat, if you were to ask my parents who I was when I lived under their roof and who I am now, they would say that there's a drastic change. 
Specifically, in regards to my drive and my passions, I was unmotivated, I was lazy, I had no desire to do anything or to see anything happen in my life. It drove my parents absolutely crazy. But if you were to ask them, who is Josh then and who is Josh now? They would say that I am a different person, that I have stepped into a new life. And that is only because of Jesus. Jesus met with me in a real and powerful way in around grade 11. And from that point on, it's been a trajectory towards the life that he has to offer. I am so serious when I say that interacting with Jesus, believing in Jesus, knowing Jesus, living for Jesus will change your life forever. And look at the chat. Look at the chat right now. Jesus has changed my life. Jesus has changed my life. The Schultzes, Rebecca, Clara, Barb Lusty, Helen, the Vosses. Jesus has changed my life. This is good news. And we're going to learn about that this morning. So let's take a look at John chapter 10, verse 22 to 42 this morning. So verse 22 says this. Then came the festival of dedication At Jerusalem, it was winter and Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. This is is a place within the temple. The Jews who were there, they were gathered around him saying, how long, how how long are you going to keep us in suspense? We've been waiting. How long, how long are you going to keep us in suspense If you are the Messiah, if you're the awaited king, if you are the Christ, please just tell us plainly. We've been waiting. Jesus responds, I I did tell you, actually. Uh, Sorry. I did tell you. I told you. But you don't believe. The works that I do in my father's name, they testify, they, they witness about me. But you do not believe because you're not my sheep. My sheep, they will listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. And watch this. I give them eternal life. And they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one will snatch them out of my father's hand. Jesus says all of this to come to verse 30, say this truth. I and the father are one. I and the father are one. So, so Jesus goes to make a bold claim. He makes a bold claim saying that his work witnesses to oneness. And I want you to hear that this morning because this is the main thrust of what I'm going to try and communicate to you today. That Jesus' work witnesses to oneness. His work witnesses to oneness. Many of us will know the band Journey. They sing the song, Don't Stop Believing. You know, the famous karaoke, Don't Stop Believing. Okay, you get the point. Journey sings the song, Don't Stop Believing. They're a very famous band. They were formed in 1973. And they've had a couple revisions over the years. But they really got popular when they had the lead vocalist, Steve Perry. That's, I believe, when they made that song, Don't Stop Believing. 
They were really popular when, when, when Steve Perry was their lead vocalist. Now, they had some problems internally, and Steve Perry had to part ways with Journey. And so there was a, there was a hole. There was a hole there in the lead vocalist position. And so the band Journey would, would search. They'd searching the internet, trying to find someone who would be able to do the work that Steve Perry did. Now, there's a guy in the Philippines by the name of Arnel, I'm probably going to butcher this last name, Panada, Panada. Anyways, Arnel is from the Philippines and his work thus far in his life had been imitation singing. So he would, uh, he would get a band and he would recreate famous popular songs from famous popular bands at the time. And one of those bands was Journey. And the band Journey found this guy on YouTube and they're like, this guy sounds exactly the same. The work that he's doing is exactly the same as Steve. And so they contact him. And then eventually, as things go on, Arnell joins this band. Now, Arnell is from the Philippines. Journey is a very much white American band. Visually, it doesn't, like it's, they're not the same. But the work that they do is the same. Arnell is able to sing just like Steve Perry did. Actually, like almost an exact replica. It's really cool. There's a documentary about it. I highly suggest that you watch it. But Arnell's work witnessed to his oneness with this band. And this is the point that Jesus is bringing out. Jesus and the Father are one. And the work actually witnesses to that. So here's how he builds this claim. Verse 25, he says, I did tell you, but you do not believe the works I do in my father's name witness or testify. If you're reading in the NIV, it'll say testify. If you're reading in the ESV, it'll say witness. They, they witness about me. The works witness about me. This should all actually be sounding somewhat similar. When we were in, uh, when we were in John chapter five, just maybe a couple months ago, we actually went over basically this whole thing. And the similarities between the two chapters are quite incredible. John chapter 5 has Jesus in Jerusalem. John chapter 5 has uh, Jesus in the temple, just like we see here. They both are mentioning a feast that's happening at the moment. They're both mentioning the work of Jesus. They both mention the witness of Jesus. They both mention the life that Jesus has to bring. They both mention the name of Jesus. They both mention the Father and the Son doing the same work. They they're, they're, almost like this, they're almost the same story. John wants you, and he does this intentionally because he wants you to be reminded of something very specific. He wants you to be reminded of the conclusion you came to after reading John 5, that the Father and the Son are one. That's what he wants on the foreground of your mind when you're reading this section. So going back to our question, what is, what is the work? What is the work that Jesus was doing. Verse 28, it says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. It has always been God's desire for his creation to have life. 
It has always been God's desire for his creation to have life. Genesis 1 and and 2, God is existing eternally and awesome and great and powerful. And what does he do in that moment when he's existing like that? He creates life. That is what God does. That is his mode of operation. Create life. Create goodness. That's why we have it say in Genesis 1, God created, it was good. God created, it was good. God cre- God's desire is to create life. If you tra- trace through the Bible, the theme of the water of life, it will become abundantly clear. Genesis chapter one, Ezekiel 47, John four. We've actually traced this out already. These are all referring to the life that God desires for his creation to have. If you trace the theme of the bread of life, which we also have looked at in this gospel, you go back to Genesis chapter three, you got Exodus 16, the manna coming from the, 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 in the wilderness, John chapter six. These are all things that are pointing to the life that Jesus has to bring. And even when you and, and I, when we throw everything that we can to destroy this life, life. What is God's plan? I'm going to bring life from that death. We see that through Jesus' own death and resurrection on the cross. When all of humanity threw everything that they had at Jesus, all the death and all the evil that they could, doesn't, it doesn't phase Jesus. He dies and is like, I'm just going to raise from the dead. Nothing is going to stop God from achieving his goal. He's like a master chess player, planning moves far in advance, way farther than we can see. In order to achieve his goal, nothing is going to stop our God. God will bring life to those he holds in his hand. So, God's work is to bring never-ending life. That's awesome. So why does that, why does Jesus' work, that's what Jesus is doing, why does, it, why does it witness to oneness? If that's what Jesus does, why does that witness to his oneness with, with the Father? It doesn't make sense, does it? Well, verse 28, I give them eternal life. We just went over this. They shall never perish. Great. No one... Watch this. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Okay. Verse 29. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. Watch, watch what Jesus did here. No one will snatch them out of my father's hand. Jesus, whose hand are you talking about? Your hand or, or, or the father's hand? Yes. Exactly. That's his point. Jesus makes this claim to oneness because the father and the son are the same. Jesus and and the father, they share the same all-powerful and mighty hand that no one can steal from. So if you find yourself in the category of Jesus' sheep, the the ones who belong to Jesus, if you find yourself in that all-powerful and mighty hand, then nothing is going to separate you from that. Nothing is going to take that away. 
You will have life forevermore. If you belong to Jesus, then nothing can separate you from his life and his love. If you are a follower of Jesus, then you have a guarantee for life now and forevermore. You know, we get let down a lot in life. If you had walked into Dollarama in around 2005, you would walk in there expecting, obviously because of the name Dollarama, that everything in the store would be a dollar, and it was. You walk into Dollarama now, and I'm walking out with something that was 10.95. That doesn't live up, I'm disappointed. You made a guarantee with your name, Dollarama. We will not be let down or disappointed. Our guarantee will not run out with God. If we are found in the Father's and Jesus's mighty hand, then we will have life forevermore. So this calls to his oneness. This calls to Jesus's oneness with the Father. And if they share the same hand, And if they do the same work, then what's the result? Well, Jesus says it in verse 30. I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. Jesus says, I and the Father are one because we do the same work. I and the Father are one because we share the same witness. I and the Father are one because we bring the same life. I and the Father are one because we have the same power. Jesus is abundantly clear that he and the Father are one. Now, if you're a Jewish person, this is going to be a very shocking claim a claim that you will not like. And so the response of the Jewish people, again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to to stone him, to throw at him. But Jesus said to them, hey, 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 I've shown you many good works from the father. Which one are you going to stone me for? The Jews are like, we're not stoning you for any good works. No, 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 no. We're stoning you because of the blasphemy. Because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law? I have said you are gods? Hold on now. Your eyebrows should be raised. That was a very weird sentence that Jesus just said. Is it not written in your law? I have said you are gods. Did Jesus just affirm the existence of other gods? We need to to take a couple steps back here. Jesus is appealing to Psalm chapter 82. Now, Psalm and all the other Psalms and all the other, the rest of the Old Testament is all written in Hebrew. Now, when things are written in a different language, there's often a different thought pattern that can be uh, involved in that process. So, for this specific word, God, it's translated from the word Elohim. Now, if you've grown up in the Christian circle and whatnot, then you might actually know or be aware of this word. 
but it's the word Elohim. And this word is actually, it's referring to a category of beings, a category of being, I should say, actually. It's referring to spiritual beings, beings that belong to the spiritual realm. So that would fall under the category of angels, of demons, things that we, the the devil, like these are spiritual beings, beings that belong in the spiritual realm. And that would also include God. They all fall under the umbrella of a spiritual being. So the Bible can refer to these as Elohim, but it's more than that as well. Because Elohim, it can refer to spiritual beings, but it can also refer specifically to the Elohim of Elohims. The spiritual being of all spiritual beings. The highest, the apex, the best. It's like if I was to say, Steve is the man. You guys would know that Steve fits under the category of male, right? But you also know more to what I'm saying when I say that. When I say Steve is the man, Steve is, is, is the, the man of all mans, right? He's the manliest man. That's what's being communicated here. It can be used interchangeably and the Hebrew actually doesn't often specify when that actually is happening. So Jesus appeals to Psalm 82 to claim that it's actually not absurd to call himself God because he's greater than these other Elohim, these other spiritual beings. So we continue on in verse 35. If I claimed, sorry, if he claimed them gods to whom the word of God came, the scripture cannot be set and scripture cannot be set aside. What about the one whom the father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy? Because I've said, I am the son of God. Do not believe me. Do not believe me unless I do the works of my father. But if I do them, even though you don't believe me, believe the works. That you may know and understand that the father is in me and I in the father. So, Jesus, he adds further depth to his argument for oneness with God by testifying to be the temple. Did you see that there? It's possible that you might have missed it. Verse 36, what about the one whom the father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Listen, it's easy to to miss this because we're actually removed from the original text. Like we're not the original audience, so we don't fully understand all of the arguments um, that the original audience would have understood. So I want to ask you two questions. The first question, where is Jesus? Like where is he in this moment of John's account right now? Well, he's in Jerusalem. He's in the temple. Okay. Do we understand what the, the temple means? The temple is the place of God's presence. The place where God, his his presence is seen and experienced and felt. This is a theme throughout the Bible. Go back to Genesis 1. God creates, he creates heaven and creates earth. And he creates this incredible garden. And there he resides with humanity, with Adam and Eve. Is there to uh, shepherd and and steward the world around him. Acting like, like priests in a sense. 
And then humanity totally butchers that. And we fail. And, and so God then takes up special residence in a place called the dwelling place, the tabernacle. And so he moves around with his people and his presence is felt and his experience and it's awesome and it's good. And there's people who are taking care of the things that, that God is, is saying and doing and whatnot. And then as we move on further, God takes up special residence in this place called the temple. And it's become the symbol of where God's presence resides. The place where God's presence is. So God's presence, it resides in the temple and that's where Jesus is at the current moment. Now, my second question. So the first one was, where is Jesus? Second question is, when is Jesus? What time of year is it? Well, it's, it's winter time. For us, when we think of winter, we think of cold weather. We think of Christmas time, maybe even some snow. Specifically, if you're in the Fraser Valley, you're thinking about rain on end, on end, on end, month over month over month. When will this stop? When we think of the word winter, we have a specific idea in mind. Well, the same goes for the Jewish audience. They think of the Feast of Dedication. Now, some of us might not know what this is. This is Hanukkah. Hanukkah. Now, some of us might not even know the entire history behind Hanukkah. So in 164 BC, there was a guy from Greece, a king, and he decided that he wanted to take over as much as he could. And so he invaded Jerusalem, the place where the Jewish people were, and they banned all Jewish religious practice. No more. You are not allowed to practice any of your religion. You are not allowed to uh, worship in the temple. You are not allowed to do anything that you want to do. And in fact, we're going to kill you for that if you resist. And so that's what happened. Lots of blood and death. And it's very, very gruesome. Now there's a guy named Judas Maccabeus. And he's looking around. He's like, I don't like what I'm seeing here. So I'm going to call my buddy here. And I'm going to call my buddy there. And we're actually going to cause a little bit of a revolution. We're going to rise up against the powers that are oppressing us. And so they go in and lots of like killing and it's brutal. It's crazy. It's this this wild story of of, of blood and, and death and like, but in the end, the Jews are able to hold their own and they reclaim the temple. They reclaim the temple. And so this specific holiday, this feast that they're looking back on is the moment they're looking back on the moment when they're able to re reclaim the temple. And then they did something very specific. They set it apart. Some words might say consecrated, but they set it apart as holy as the place where God's presence is to reside. They set it apart. That's what they're remembering at this moment right now. So do you see what's happening here? Do you see the story that's happening behind the story? Jesus is claiming to be the set apart one. So while the Jews are remembering when they set apart the temple yet again in order for God's presence to be made known and experienced, Jesus is stepping in and he's saying, no, 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 no. I am that set apart one. I am the temple. 
I am the place where God's presence is. You set apart your temple for God's presence to reside. I am set apart by God for his presence to reside. I am the temple is what Jesus is saying, which is why in verse 38, he goes on to say, understand that the father is in me. Do you see the language that he's using? The father is in me. Like you can go into the temple. Like God's presence is in the temple. The father is in me and I in the father. Jesus is making it abundantly clear his claim to oneness with the father. So these two main points, the fact that his work witnesses to oneness and that he's testifying to be the temple, these two main convictions that John has, sorry, these two main points are the foundation of John's conviction. They're the foundations of of John's conviction that he has at the end of his account in John chapter 20, verse 31. He wants you to walk away knowing that Jesus is God. That he's the son of God, that he is God, that they are one. John is wanting you to walk away with believing that the Son and the Father are one. And so now that Jesus had made further exclamation towards his audacious claim, what's the response of the Jewish people? Well, verse 39, again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. There he stayed and many people came to him. They said, though, John never performed a sign. All that John said about this man was true. And the result? And in that place, many believed in Jesus. And so the Jews are left with attention. Some Jews try and kill Jesus. Some Jews believe in Jesus. They're left with attention, the same tension that many of the other chapters of John end with. Are the Jewish people going to believe in Jesus or not? And now as followers of Jesus, we and and readers of this text, we are left with the same conclusion as well. Are we, are you going to believe in Jesus or, or not? Now, two things need to be said about belief. The first is that biblical belief isn't blind. Biblical belief isn't blind. The second is that biblical belief is holistic. So we'll get into that in a second. Biblical belief isn't blind. Followers of Jesus, Christians, often get charged with having a blind faith. How can you believe in Jesus? How can you believe in God when you don't see him? You have to be blind. You have to have a blind faith in order to believe in Jesus and the Bible and God. That is often what we get charged with as followers of Jesus, having blind faith. But Jesus said something very specific. He said, believe the works. Believe the works. Jesus's, I'm pointing back to what I said earlier, Jesus's work witnesses to his oneness. So here is a demonstration of his deity, a demonstration of his deity, turning water into wine. This is a proof. 
casting out demons, multiplying life, bread for thousands, healing the lame man, healing the blind man, healing the sick boy. He's in in a chapter from now, he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. In several chapters from now, he's going to die and be raised from the dead himself. These are proofs. These are demonstrations of his deity. This is attributed to the work that Jesus has. All of these examples are things that bring life. If you want modern examples, look at this chat. Scroll through the chat and see people who have said Kelly and Trudy Bay, Jesus has changed our lives. Tony, Jesus has changed my life. The Catchatorians, Jesus has changed my life. We have a firm and solid foundation that we can see the evidence of Jesus working in our midst. Jesus will change lives. He will bring about a new life. And this is a proof. Church, biblical, biblical belief isn't blind. People have been blind to the proof. Biblical belief is not blind. My second point, biblical belief is holistic. People often think that belief is just cognitive. That if we think the right things, if we know the right things, if we can cognitively come up with the right answers, then that is belief. People think belief lives in the mind. No, belief, biblical belief is holistic. It, of course it engages the mind. Of course, definitely it engages the mind. And, and, and Jesus and, and God wants you to understand who Jesus is, to search the scriptures, to find out who, who Jesus actually is, to know him in your mind. He wants that for, for certain. I would never question that whatsoever. But, but, it doesn't just stay in the mind. It'd be like if I was to say Tesla's stock in the next three days is going to rise 250,000% in the next three days. And if I don't invest in Tesla's stock, do I really believe? Do I really believe at that point? I need to put my money where my mouth is. And see, here's the thing, is that we don't often live like we believe that Jesus is the son of God. We don't often live like we believe that Jesus is the son of God. See, we make replacements for Jesus. We make replacements for God. We act like preference is our God. We act like what, what I want is really my God. That is going to be the thing that is going to dictate the way in which I live my life. And so if I want this, that means I'm going that direction. If I want this, then I'm going that direction. And if I don't want this, then I am not going that direction. And we, 
and we get fearful of where God is actually leading us in life. We act like piety is our God. I just need to follow these rules. And if I don't stray from these rules whatsoever, then I am all good. And I'm just going to follow these rules and I'm not going to interact with people with grace because they are outside of the rules. And so I can't love them properly and I'm just going to know the truth and walk in the right path. And that's the only thing that I'm going to do. I'm not going to look to my left. I'm not going to look to my right. I'm just going to focus on the right things to do and we miss, we, we miss out. We miss out on, on the life that Jesus has in showing grace. Truth is good, but it needs to be accompanied with grace. We act like our emotions are God. However I feel, I'm feeling anxious about something. I, I, I don't know if I'm supposed to do this or, or, or if I'm not supposed to do that. So I'm just going to avoid the whole thing and go a totally different direction. And, 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 or I feel so passionately about this thing. And, and so everything in my body is going to drive me towards this direction. And, and we miss out on the life that God has to offer for us to be a part of and to participate in, our, motion, our emotions will be so quick to fail us because we can feel one thing one day and a different thing the next. Ultimately, what we are doing is we are replacing the throne of God with the throne of man. And see, our belief, and I'm using this in the sense of the word actions, our belief needs to be placed on the fact that Jesus and the Father are one and that will change your life. When you recognize that Jesus is the king, that Jesus is God, that Jesus is Lord over all things, then that is going to be the thing that changes your life. Not however I feel, not whatever rules I follow. It's about Jesus. And so even though, even though we fail to believe God is faithful to forgive our unbelief. He is faithful to forgive our unbelief and to bring about a new life. Say, this is what makes the cross such good news. This is what makes the death and the resurrection of Jesus so great is that Jesus sees you in your shortcomings. He, she, he sees you in, in your unbelief. He sees you in your moments of failure, in, in your moments of weakness, in your moments of brokenness. And he says, I'm not going to leave you there. I have a new life for you. And so he is quick to forgive, fueling us towards faithfulness. See, this is the whole point is it's his work in you. It's his work in you. And be belief is actually a result of the work in you. It's, it's all about Jesus. It always has been, and it always will be.
And so we have fallen short. God is quick to forgive. But here's the thing, Grace Church, and I'm gonna invite actually the band to come on forward. Here's the thing, Grace Church, is that I have seen true belief in action. I have seen true belief in actions. If you search the Bible, you're going to come across at some point, probably Romans 16, Prisca and Aquila. You see, they, they opened up their homes in the New Testament. When the Jesus movement was spreading out far and wide, they opened up their homes in the New Testament to welcome in the believers and the non-believers. They opened up their homes and they welcomed people in. And listen, Grace Church, I have seen, I have seen people open up their homes here at Grace Church for the believers and for the non-believers. If, if Prisca and Aquila are, are true belief in action, then I have seen true belief here at Grace Church. Paul, the Apostle Paul, a follower of Jesus, he wrote letters to the, to the New Testament church, encouraging, equipping, um, and caring for this New Testament church. Listen, I have seen people here at Grace Church pick up the phone during COVID-19 and call others, encouraging them, hearing where they're at. People have been reciting Bible verses, lifting up one another, inspiring others towards Jesus. I have seen true belief at Grace Church. Paul also had to abstain from certain foods for the sake of a brother. I have seen people at Grace Church make masks for other people regardless of however they feel our government's response to COVID-19 has been. I have seen true belief in action. The early church is gathered. They gathered up all their things together to share with those around them. And I've seen people go and deliver meals to other people around uh, Grace Church. I've seen this happen. I've seen true belief in action. Tychus was a faithful minister to the church and I have seen Grace Church minister faithfully. In the past four years that I have been here, I have seen true belief in action. Grace Church, we should be encouraged because the presence of God lives among Grace Church, lives among us as followers of Jesus and I have seen that lived out. I have seen Grace Church have Christ's love. I have seen Grace Church have Christ's joy. I have seen Grace Church have Christ's peace. I have seen Grace Church have Christ's patience, his kindness, his goodness, his faithfulness, his gentleness. I have seen true belief here at Grace Church. Be encouraged this morning because I, I've seen it. I have seen it in action. I have seen it in thought. I have seen holistic true belief here at Grace Church. And so I want to leave you with this. If you are not a follower of Jesus, 
please be a part of what God is doing in this world to bring about a new life. Turn to him. He has reached out his hand for you to take hold of. Grab it today. And if you are a follower of Jesus, please continue. Continue to have true belief. Continue to know that your efforts are not in vain. Continue to know that God is good and is working out a good plan in our midst. God, I'm so thankful for who you are. I'm thankful for the life that you bring. I'm thankful for the goodness that you have. And I'm thankful that we are able to live within this new life. Give us the uh, strength, give us the power, equip us, encourage us, help us to respond to your goodness, your grace, your faithfulness each day. We pray this in your name, Jesus, and through the power that comes from the Holy Spirit. Amen.